will be up on the screen. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this special time in our service today where we hear from your word. Uh, We thank you today for this passage that speaks about your word, uh, that uh, we can know um, your revelation of yourself, of what you are like, and all you've done for us in your great plan, that unfolding plan of salvation in and through uh, your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for uh, the great hope it brings us. We thank you for the great confidence that we can have in scriptures. And we pray that as we um, delve in today, um, that we will be uh, blessed um, by hearing um, more of your word um, as it speaks about how we can really, really trust um, that it has been inspired by you from beginning to end. Um, We thank you and we pray that you would change us through your scriptures for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared, in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Well, friends, let's pray again. We need to pray, so let's pray. Gracious Father, uh, there's so much darkness in this world. There's so much darkness in our own lives. Uh, And yet your word gives light. There's so much sadness and sorrow and decay in this world but your word gives joy and peace and life 
Father, teach us, we pray. Give us an increasingly joyful confidence in your wonderful word to us and in what it says about what you have done in Jesus. Lord, we pray this morning that you might help us to think carefully about these important issues, uh, but that it might not just stay in our heads, but it might transform us, please, by your spirit as you take your word and uh, work it deep into us and transform us into those who live for the praise of your glory. We pray that for us. We pray that for many people that we know, our neighbours and friends across this area and many people across the whole world. And we pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, friends, I want to take you on a bit of a journey. Uh, Imagine you head across the world, so you get to jump on a plane, uh, fly across the world to the other side of the world, to Germany, and just imagine that um, your plane is also a TARDIS and can take you back 500 years. Uh, It's the 31st of October, and uh, uh, in 1517, and a young monk is nailing a document to the door of a church in a German town called Wittenberg. Uh, This young monk uh, was Martin Luther. His name was Martin Luther. He was a lecturer at the University at Wittenberg, uh, and it was a common practice at the time to post... Uh, academic kind of arguments to the door of the church as a public record of something that they were trying to say. So they'd post it up there, people would gather around, have a read and start to discuss it. So it was a a common practice at the time. But this document uh, that Luther nailed to the door of this church, uh, what he called his 95 Theses on the Power of Indulgences, uh, gripping titles that they used to come up with back then, uh, it, it was a common practice, that th- what he did, but what it sparked was anything but ordinary. It sparked something incredible. It sparked uh, something, and it spread like wildfire. Within two weeks, um, this document, these 95 theses, had been copied and copied and copied and spread all over Germany. Um, and within a few years, within four short years, if we flick ahead, uh, there's a nice little picture of Monk Martin. Uh, If you go to the next slide, though, within just a few short years, Luther's ideas had sparked what we now call the Reformation. Or, uh, if you kind of think about the word Reformation, the the reforming, the reformation of the church. Um, What moved Luther to write these 95 Theses uh, was a common practice at the time uh, of selling indulgences, So you can see the picture up there. There's a bit of a picture of people coming to buy these things called indulgences. These indulgences were given out by the church. Um, uh, They were kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, if you played Monopoly, you know you kind of can get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Sort of like that. You could uh, you you get these indulgences, and what they would do is they would officially reduce the amount of punishment that you had to face for your sins. Um, uh, that was the kind of uh, understanding at the time. Uh, you had to pay for them. You could pay for them by doing certain good works. Or this practice developed and where people thought, hey, why don't we just pay for them actually with money? You, know, you could actually sell indulgences. Uh, selling indulgences became a major kind of moneymaker for the Roman church at the time. And they really liked, liked it because 
Uh, they were facing some financial issues and needed to rebuild St. Peter's and all of this uh, in Rome. Anyway, uh, no one was better at it than this guy, uh, the next guy on the slide. This, this guy, uh, his name was Johann Tetzel, T-E-T-Z-E-L, if you're taking notes. Tetzel, uh, he would travel around selling out these indulgences uh, to people around, around Germany. He, he would, and he, he came up with this catchphrase that became famous uh, across Germany. He'd walk around in different towns and he'd say, he'd call out, when a coin in the coffer rings, so when you put a coin in this coffer, when the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Uh, when the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. In other words, pay your way out of hell. <laughs> pay your... Lots of people, now you've got to understand at this time though, there are lots of people who are deeply anxious. Uh, security, they needed some security. They were looking for some kind of assurance. It was a really dark time. Uh, if you know anything about this kind of time in history, uh, the Black Plague was, had been uh, sort of going for uh, quite a while and it was decimating, just doing terrible things. It was a dark time kind of physically but spiritually as well. It's a long story. But this confrontation of Luther with Tetzel... Uh, he kind of, that sort of sparked this, these 95 arguments against this practice of selling indulgences. This conf- this, it, it snowballed. You know, a snowball, it kind of starts a small thing, it gathers momentum, builds, builds and builds, and ends up becoming a huge avalanche. Uh, and that's what happened with, with Luther and Tetzel. It, it, it led Luther to... It, he thought he was just writing a, a kind of academic argument against this to be discussed uh, between, you know, between theologians, it ended up leading him uh, to question the very kind of foundations of the Catholic Church at the time. And what drove it all, what Luther had been kind of soaking himself in up to this point where he made this confrontation, what drove it all was a recovery of the Bible and a conviction that it was how we came to know God and his plans, what it means to be a Christian, a conviction that it was the Bible that had the ultimate authority. Um, The printing press, if you're interested in this sort of thing, you may not be, but the printing press had just been discovered. Uh, There was a new movement that went back, that was discovering, sort of bringing back the original languages of the Bible, and there were translations being made of the Bible The Bible was more available than it ever had been before and it was a conviction that the Bible was God's word and that it had authority. It had the ultimate authority. It was that conviction that drove the Reformation on and it drove Luther not just to confront Tetzel but sort of to go up the the chain all the way to the Pope at the time uh, and confront them with the reality of God's authority in Scripture. Okay, so that's what solar, this phrase sola scriptura, we're looking at this, these different solas, I don't know Latin, so I just know these phrases, okay, so uh, I, I understand it means scripture alone, scripture alone. Uh, it was one of the, 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 theolog- the, the kind of main emphasis of the Reformation, the thing that kind of drove it on, sola scriptura. Um, there were some alternatives at the time. So uh, there's uh, one alternative, and what Luther rebelled against was an idea of tradition alone. So when you hear the word alone, what that means is alone as the ultimate authority. What's, what, what are we going to listen to as our guiding ultimate kind of authority? Um, 
At the, at the time, what Luther rebelled against was this idea that it was the tradition or the institution of the church. That had the ultimate authority. Um, the Bible was important, uh, but the, the Pope and the church councils could be, were just as, they had just as much authority. They could speak to you just as authoritatively and they could interpret the, the Bible and their interpretation was infallible. You couldn't argue against it. So that was kind of one alternative that Luther rebelled against. Um, the next one, uh, I, uh, I, well, sort of this is going back 500 years. It's going to land in the text and in today, um, but it's helpful to get the, build a picture. The next one, though, another, common, well, another alternative at the time was after this Reformation sort of kicked off and Luther started this breakaway from the Roman church at the time, there was this group called the Radical Reformers. They took Luther's kind of break with Rome and ran with it. They ran with it. Uh, and they, some of them claimed that now they were set free from Rome, they claimed that our ultimate authority is not, not wasn't the Bible, but is our spiritual experience. Um, our experience is what is ultimately authoritative. That, that kind of is what we listen to most of all. Uh, a guy called Thomas Munzer, you can look him up later if you're interested, uh, he claimed that new revelations of the Spirit were what was needed, not the old Bible that's just ink and paper. Uh, he said, we need a new Daniel led by the Spirit, not by the Scripture. And strangely enough, Munzer believed that he himself was that new Daniel. <laughs> Maybe I'm too sceptical. Uh, Munzer and others like him they elevated a, a kind of internal subjective experience over the historic objective scriptures. And if there was ever any conflict between the two, it was experience that won out. It was experience that won out. Uh, Luther replied that, of course, the word without the spirit is dead, but you can't separate the two. This was Luther's uh, reply to the radical reformers. Whereas your experience can lie, the scriptures cannot. They are our ultimate authority. Another kind of group that came up after this um, was a group that kind of said, well, reason alone is our ultimate authority. Reason. Um, these guys called the rationalists, they would accept Scripture if it stood up to their ability to reason it, um, if it stands up to human logic. Um, and there was another one that it's a little bit, sort of slightly different to this, uh, there's another kind of alternative to uh, sola scriptura, not scripture alone, this, uh, but scripture only, <laughs> scripture only, uh, a kind of uh, understanding that it's just me and my Bible, a rejection of tradition and history altogether. Um, it kind of sounds a bit better, but in the end, and what the, the original reformers kind of saw, was it ends up replacing the Pope with me myself and I. <laughs> I am a new Pope. It assumes that my own interpretation is infallible. Um, that wasn't the position of the Reformers. Uh, Luther had, if you ever read any Luther, he has this great uh, kind of ability to make these uh, cutting comments that we probably would shy away from today. Uh, Luther said that this idea would mean that each person would go to hell in their own way. <laughs> Uh, the Reformers were soaked in history. 
in what people had said about the Bible in the past. They were humble and they, they were soaked in the church fathers. They were soaked in people like Augustine who'd come before them. They loved the creeds. They weren't anti-institutional. Luther didn't want to break away from the church. Um, he was compelled to in the end. Uh, sola Scriptura doesn't mean Scripture is our only authority. It means it's our supreme authority, the, the authority that everything else comes under. Every, every other kind of authority sits under. So, look, there were some alternatives at the time. and uh, It'd be worth thinking through as we kind of go through what are some of the ways in which these same things come up today. Uh, and uh, perhaps that'll be a good thing to discuss in home groups or outside. What we're going to do now, though, is work through three kind of things that come through from both from this passage that we read... Uh, to hear the Bible's witness about itself and how what the Reformers did and said were in line with the teaching of the Bible about itself. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, chapter 3 and 4, this great passage that Meredith read out for us, this incredible uh, passage. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, uh, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting and rebuking. It goes on. Um, what really sort of drove this conviction was the understanding that Scripture itself was what they call inspired, breathed out by God. The Bible itself was breathed out by God. The story of the Bible is how God graciously gives himself and communicates himself to his world. You see that in the Old Testament. It's ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus himself as the full communication of who God is. And uh, we, have that in, uh, we have access to that through the witness of the apostles in the New Testament. We'll get to that later. But uh, this idea that it's breathed out by God. So you, the, the, uh, uh, according to the Bible's own understanding, the, the Bible itself is both, it's a human book, right? Human people wrote it in real human times. It wasn't just kind of delivered from heaven. It's a human book, but God was working through it all. Uh, so it's both a fully human document and a fully divine one. It has God's own authority. Uh, it means we've got to understand it and think about the human side of it. That's really important. Uh, but also submit to it as God's word to us. Okay. And where, where, that leads us, where, where that leads to is this incredible unity across, if you think about the Bible, right? Um, it's written over about 1,500 years. So this, this book, written over a long period of time uh, by lots of different authors. It's got just about every different type of writing there is, every different sort of genre, but it tells this incredible unified one story that's all centred on Jesus, and we'll come back to that. But because the Bible is um, breathed out by God, so it's, it, the, the conviction that the Reformers held on to was this is, this is God's authority, this is God's word. Uh, because of that, it's also, there's this other idea that comes through of the Bible being uh, the... Uh, unfailing word of God. It never fails. But it's totally trustworthy. It always accomplishes what God intends it to do. Um, you can see up there, it's useful. All scripture is God-breathed, and so it's useful for us. It's actually, uh, it's actually useful. You want to grow in righteousness. You, know, you want to grow in bringing glory to God in your life. It's the Bible that's going to do that. It's, the Bible is useful for these things. Uh, what, what you get through, and maybe you pick this up as, you read, as Meredith read through this passage for us, 
Timothy is facing incredible challenges, right? Uh, if you look through the passage at the front, or Paul himself is, is facing all these challenges. He, he's going through all these persecutions. And he warns Timothy that that's just going to be kind of par for the course for him. That's life uh, in this age. And then you get down the bottom and you can, you can see that uh, Tim, uh, Paul's telling Timothy, this, this leader in the church, there's going to be all sorts of pressures facing you. People who won't want to listen to you. Uh, people who will uh, do uh, evildoers and impostors going from bad to worse, deceiving, being deceived. People who will gather a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And what is, here's the thing, what is Paul's, if you go to the next slide, what is Paul's great, what is his advice to this, to, to Timothy in this? What does he want Timothy to do more than anything else in the face of all these pressures? What is it that's going to grow this church into a strong, healthy church? What is it that's going to keep Timothy strong in the gospel? Well, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing, I give you this charge. What would you put there? <laughs> what's what's going what's gonna to be the thing that is going to protect this church? What is going to be the thing that is going to help Timothy in facing all this pressure that he has? Preach the word. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul said. Preach the word. Now, Paul's saying that this witness to the gospel, when he says the word there, I think he means the Old Testament scriptures, the, the, and also, as it's developing at this time, the, new, the, the apostles witness to the great word, Jesus, the, the New Testament writings as we have them. He says that is where God's, that is where God's power is. Uh, it is his living and active word. There's another place in Hebrews 4, there should be a slide come up, that says, For the word of God is act, alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul of, and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is how Luther put it. He knew, he, he, he knew this. He... he knew that the Bible was breathed by God and with his authority and his power. And so this is how Luther put it, again up on the screen, should come up. Uh, when he looked back over all that he had done, he said, I opposed indulgences and all papists, but never by force. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word, otherwise I did nothing. And then, while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my Philip of Armsdorf, the words so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing. The word did it all. You see what Luther said? It wasn't, he, he wasn't him who was doing this. He was just drinking beer and sleeping. <laughs> well, and teaching and preaching and writing about this word, this powerful, unfailing, inspired word. Okay, How, what do we make of all this? These, these, these two ideas of inspiration and infallibility, they're big words, they're kind of lots of stuff written about them. 
They're, but their commitments about the Bible that come from the Bible itself, it, I want to suggest that it's possible to believe them, it's possible to really hold on to them, but ourselves to be cold towards the Bible in this strange way, it's possible to kind of argue for the Bible but not to love it. And I think this is a big issue, certainly for me, I suspect for all of us. Why can this be the case? I think it's because it's, it's possible for us to forget it's not just its power, or, but its sweetness. It's possible for us to forget its sweetness. We heard that in the kids' talk, God's Word is sweeter than honey. The most precious gift, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Uh, in a world of darkness, it gives light. In a wor- world, uh, you, no, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes, in a world uh, where all, all flesh is like grass, like the flowers of the field, they fade away. But God's word stands forever. In a world that is dying, it brings new life. But so often, is, perhaps this is true for you, so often our hearts don't yearn for it. Uh, because we haven't yet learned... Uh, again, that God's word is the most precious thing, the sweetest thing, the thing that we need. Uh, how do we get a sense of the Bible's sweetness? Well, there's lots to say about that, I think. Uh, in the gathering of God's people, immersing ourselves in it as much as possible so that we are constantly reminding ourselves of the great reality of God's word, what it says, not just what it says, Um, about us but what it says about who God is and what he has done in Jesus. That's what we try and do every week but what we're going to see over the next three weeks, uh, the next three convictions that came out of the Reformation, um, these other kind of convictions, uh, that's really, I'm hoping that that will be a great time for us to perhaps if we've lost something of the sweetness of God's word, to re- uh, capture that, to, re- to taste it again, or perhaps if we've never tasted it, um, perhaps if we've never tasted it, to taste it for the first time these next three weeks, these other core convictions that came out of the Reformation. You see, as the Bible dis- was rediscovered, uh, Luther and uh, the others like him, they started to taste its sweetness. God opened their eyes to the Bible's big picture the big picture of the Bible, that God is at his heart a giver uh, who saves us by grace alone, by his grace alone. That we get into that salvation, not by earning it, not by anxiously doing lots of stuff to earn it, but simply by holding our hands out to receive it by faith alone. Grace alone, faith alone, and the reality that that salvation is won for us in Christ alone. Those are the next three weeks that we'll kind of look at those three issues and um, hopefully as those realities come out to us, come alive again to us from the Bible, uh, that is one way to reignite our yearning for it. These last three solas, they they really summarise the story of the Bible because they show us that the Bible is all about Jesus. B-I-B-L-E, J-E-S-U-S. It's not a book of rules, it's not a guide to help you achieve your best. It's not primarily about you in the end. It is about God and what he has done in Christ. And the Bible, 
The Bible is the only infallible, God-given witness to that reality, to what God has done. This great story of the gospel that we have. It's in the Bible that we have that fully, finally, authoritatively. And our yearning for the Bible, our, our sense of its sweetness, will flow out of our yearning for Jesus, our sense of His sweetness and the incredible hope that we have in Him. Well, friends, um, there's so much in this solar scripture that can uh, really take up a lot of our thoughts and should. Uh, I just wanted to finish by drawing together a couple of things. Uh, this practical outworking for us and how we think about our life together in this church. Uh, there's a key question that comes out of all of this, this idea of where authority lies. Um, where do we think God's power to change lives is? Where do we think God's power to change lives is? Is it in traditions? Well, if it is, then we'll put our hope into traditions, won't we? Uh, is it in experience, creating a certain kind of experience? Is that where the power really lies, to change someone's life? If it is, then we'll put our energy into that. Uh, is it in community, in a, a really close community? Is that where the power, God's power to change lives lies? We'll, if so, we'll put all our energy into creating a type of community. Is it in our ability to reason and figure everything out? Uh, is it in charismatic leadership or efficient management structures? If that's where the power lies, then that's where we'll put our energy and our hope. But if God's authority and power is in his word that he has breathed out and given so graciously to us, then we will focus on hearing and tasting and sharing that word. And those other things will flow out. God's word produces experience. It produces community. It produces, it does produce traditions. Uh, but they're not the, the, where, you're, where God's power primarily lies. It's going to work out for us as a church. And so that kind of shapes a lot of our convictions as a church. And hopefully, if you're around long enough, you'll pick that up, that it's really the hearing and responding to the Bible that is at the heart of our life together, letting that shape us and transform us. It'll play out for us as individuals, um, and it'd be worth just taking stock today of how your relationship with the Bible is going as an individual. Uh, there's some practical kind of things to help, and there's lots of that that we can talk about. Uh, but at the heart is this same question. Have you actually tasted its sweetness uh, in Jesus? Uh, have you seen Jesus at the centre of the Bible's story and entrusted your life to him? That's what will give you a taste for how good this word is. Uh, it's sad to see, I think, this idea of sola scriptura or Bible alone, or Bible only, not alone, I should say no, wait, hang on, I'm getting confused. Bible alone as the ultimate authority, that's right. Scripture alone. It's, it, I think it's sad to see that this, if you, think, if you hear people in community around us or in, in society or even in, in churches, this idea can be seen in a, in a kind of negative, joyless kind of way. Those 
sour fundamentalists bashing their Bibles, right? Uh, I'd like to encourage you to have a different kind of mindset and way of thinking about all of this. Um, there is that kind of pressure, I think, and, and people can, you can respond to that pressure in a couple of ways. You can respond by bashing even harder and getting more aggressive. Uh, or you can respond by retreating and becoming kind of apologetic for the Bible. I want to suggest Sola Scriptura shouldn't lead us to either of those. Seeing the Bible is God's word, it shouldn't lead us to a kind of insecure, aggressive defensiveness. If the Bible is God's word, it doesn't need defending. There's a great line um, by someone called Charles Spurgeon. He talks about defending the Bible. and He says, defend the Bible, I would as soon defend a lion. I was as soon... You don't defend the Bible. You let it roar, right? If the, the Sola Scriptura gives us a confidence in the Bible as God's word, but it is a joyful confidence. The Bible is not only powerful, as we saw before, it is good. It's sweet and it's tasting its sweetness. That's going to give us a burden not to retreat from it or not to try and anxiously defend it, but to joyfully share it and, and share it because we've tasted that ourselves. Uh, it's possible to become distracted from this. But friends, why would we give ourselves to anything else? Why would we give ourselves to anything else other than to hear again and again, to submit ourselves to, to read and talk about and pass on this great life-giving, light-giving word of God? And perhaps while we sleep and drink beer or whatever you drink, God's word will do its powerful work among us and through us. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, the way in which the Apostle Paul had such uh, clarity and conviction about your scriptures and that when Timothy was faced with such pressure, uh, his instruction to Timothy was just to keep coming back to your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that for us in every aspect of our lives. Give us that kind of joyful confidence in the scriptures. Uh, keep us from... Um, being unsure or indecisive or uh, keep us from a kind of insecurity, Lord. Help us to have confidence in you and your word to work in our lives and in the lives of people. But Lord, we also pray for each and every one of us that we will grow more and more to taste its sweetness because we see in your word your great plan of salvation for us in Jesus and everything that that means, all that it opens us up to, the great eternal hope and forgiveness and new life that we have because of him. Please make us increasingly lovers of your word. We pray it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.